Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season six, episode nine. Anyone else have trouble telling your six iron from your nine iron in your (laughs) golf bag? Well, I do. We're coming to you today from (laughs) here, there, and yonder, but I'm in Lancaster, Ohio. I didn't say that right. Lancaster, Ohio. A home of former PGA golfer. See, there's a theme here. There's a theme here. Joe Ogilvie, who actually won six professional golf tournaments, which is six more than I've won. I'm Terry. (laughs) And that's why I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan. And I'm, I'm just, again, never cease to be amazed at the introductions that Terry Smith can bring to the Equipping You podcast. And I have to say, I'm ridiculously disappointed that after living in Eastern PA for so many years that you would say Lancaster wrong. I know. I, I, I don't understand I, that. How's that possible, I'm Terry? I'm disappointed in myself, and I want to issue an apology to <laughs> all of those who live in whatever Lancaster. On behalf of all of Eastern PA, I receive your apology. And who else is here with us today? It is Caitlin. Always good to have Caitlin along for the ride, or excuse me, along for the drive, because we have clarified before that she's in the driver's seat. She is, and uh, she's a digital media specialist for the Alliance, and we appreciate her. Alan, today's guest is Todd Bollinger, who uh, wrote a book titled, Strangely Enough, uh, Canoeing the Mountains, and another called uh, Tempered Resilience. Uh, what's, What's the big point this guy wants to make? to us today and why are we interviewing him well i you know we're going to hit on it with mr todd bolsinger uh since we make a big deal out of pronouncing his name correctly later we should probably do it in the intro to uh i um but todd is just such an encouraging guy who really gets to the heart of leadership um he really helps us to see that it's in in leading that god actually transforms us and if we don't let god transform us in our leading we won't be able to lead uh, leading, as he calls it, is a crucible of change, uh, and he helps us uh, how to lead when we're not the experts, <laughs> um, when we don't know how to lead off the course, and when we really do need to lead change, which makes our people feel as lost. I mean, this conversation is going to be so valuable. Uh, his book has been very transformative to me, and I can't wait. Indeed. So grab a pencil. And a piece of paper. You're going to want to take some notes. You're going to want to write down the names of some of his books and where you can get his resources if you haven't done that already. And while you're grabbing your pencil and paper, grab yourself a Mountain Dew wannabe called Mellow Yellow. <laughs> you know, I haven't sang on this season yet. We're already at episode nine. They call me Mellow Yellow. <laughs> they call me Mellow Yellow. All right. Wow. So Sit glad back. we could uh, knock that off the checklist. Sit back. Rewind and listen to that singing again. Sit back. Relax. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> no, 
Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on equipping you community. We can't wait to see you there. Well, we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You Podcast, our new friend, Todd Bolsinger. Todd, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be with you. And after asking you how to pronounce your name, did I pronounce it right or wrong? <laughs> you got exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a miracle. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Let our listeners uh, get to know you a bit, your spiritual journey, your call to ministry, as well as uh, a bit about your current leadership role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was raised in a Roman Catholic family. My grandfather's name is Guido Evangelisti. So that Evangelisti, I always think I must be related to St. Francis somewhere back in there. Um, but um, and when I was in high school, I had one of those uh, just beautiful personal uh, conversion experiences of having a personal relationship with Jesus. And that led me into ministry, actually. So I ended up working for Youth for Christ. I ran Campus Life Clubs, which is a lot like Young Life that some people know in some areas. And um, and then they uh, then when I was uh, trying to raise support from a church in Los Angeles, they recruited me. And so I ended up going on the staff at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood um, in Hollywood, California. And uh, they took me on as their college pastor. And I was 23 years old. I was just out of college myself. And they sent me to seminary and they paid for it. And I think about this all the time. Every time I get a chance to tell my story, I talk about a church that invested in me when I was a little more than just enthusiasm and arrogance. And they said, you're going to run out of those little youth talks you do by Christmas. So we're going to send you someplace where you can learn to study the scriptures. And I was thrilled because I ran out of them by Thanksgiving. And, um, and I ended up getting an MDiv at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. And I went straight into a PhD uh, in practical theology. And um, because I was working full time at a church, I had to cram that PhD into my life. And so I crammed a four-year degree into nine years. And then um, went from there, uh, wrote a PhD uh, on spiritual formation and Christian community. And that became my first book, It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian, and really became the blueprint for what I wanted to be as a pastor. And so when I was 33, I was asked by uh, San Clemente Presbyterian Church in South Orange County, California, to come and be their pastor. It was a mostly older congregation. Um, I say that the day of that they all opened up the little brochure from the nominating committee that said, here's, here's our nominee for new pastor. And most of our church members said, he's the age of our grandson. <laughs> so, so, but they took, they took me in and um, my daughter was three months old and my son was three years old. And I held up my daughter and said, you're all invited to her high school graduation. And we were there until she graduated high school. And wow. God gave us the desire of our hearts to raise our kids in a beautiful community, um, to pastor a congregation that wanted to reach the neighborhood. And it was in the middle of all of that that I um, discovered that I had this deep love, not only for spiritual formation, but for leadership formation. And when uh, that season kind of came to an end, I got invited um, to come on the faculty and the senior administration at Fuller Seminary, where I had been a student 
And so I've been there for the last almost seven years um, now. So six years as a senior vice president, and then um, the last year starting a new ministry with them called the Church Leadership Institute, which is really returning me to my love after doing some administrative labor that needed to be done in an organization that had to go through change. Um, I now get to work every single day with church leaders who are going through change and helping faith leaders thrive as change leaders. Wow, that's really cool. What a journey. Great to well, one of our uh, favorite questions to ask our guests is uh, tell us about who's been influential in your development as a leader. So, hey, fill us in. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so some of it, as you know, um, I mean, because I've been an academic and because I've been studying, a lot of these are are, are books, right? These are people, authors, and there are folks that show up in my books, um, pe- people who come out of the leadership world like uh, Ronald Heifetz and Ed Friedman. And most recently, I've been reading um, the works of a Jewish rabbi who is the chief rabbi of London, Jonathan Sachs. Um, who takes adaptive leadership and applies it to the Torah. And it's and so I, I've just been surrounded by these voices of people who come through their books. But but personally, I was really shaped profoundly by uh, by three people. One was a woman named Lynn Ziegenfuss, who was the first person who discipled me as a young staff person, yeah. um, who really taught me that being a disciple of Jesus is needs to be core to your identity if you're going to be a leader. And then the next person was Mark Roberts. He became my best friend. I actually, Tempered Resilience is uh, dedicated to him. He has been the person who has been the most formative presence in my life as a friend uh, for over almost 40 years. And then I guess the third one would be uh, Al Sloan, who was the president of a real estate company. And he was a lay leader in my church. And he was on the search committee that took me to San Clemente. And when he, when I showed up as their new pastor, he and his wife, Enid, they were both from Iowa. They said, we have dedicated our lives to whoever our pastor would be. We will give you a great ministry and a great life. And we'll do everything in our power to do so. And literally that word that they said to me has now become my mission statement. It is to help leaders have a great ministry and a great life. And, and they, and this couple, this beautiful older couple from, um, the middle of Iowa um, became really uh, spiritual mentors and parents to my wife and me. Uh, I have a heart from Iowa too. I love that. I love some people, mm-hmm. some dear people from there. Mm-hmm. So Todd, you've been a, obviously uh, an effective pastor, seminary leader for a good bit of time, but your book, uh, Canoeing the Mountains, drew a lot mm-hmm. of attention. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what made Canoeing the Mountains resonate with the hearts of so many leaders? Yeah, I think I think the, the it's two things. One is um, the book was about identifying a kind of leadership that you need when you can't rely on your best practices from the past. That's a really disruptive moment for most of us. You know, you get into leadership because you've been effective in some way. Somebody, you know, you're the best speaker and then they ask you to become the preacher and then you become the pastor, right? Or, you know, you're a person who goes into leadership because you were effective at something that was not leading. And then you assume that you'll be able to keep going and you'll grow as you go, but it's based on what you learned in the past. When you get into what we call uncharted territory, when the world has changed so dramatically that you can't rely on the things of the past, you need to learn to lead all over again. And the experience of the Canoe in the Mountains is the story about 
Lewis and Clark and the Corps of Discovery, who discovered that 400 years of European assumptions about the <laughs> continent of the United States were wrong, and that there, that there wasn't a water route that would connect the country, that there was this thing called the Rocky Mountains, Whoops. and that while the indigenous people had tried to tell them, they said, oh, don't worry, we're good at mountains, they said, as people from Virginia, who had no idea what they meant <laughs> when they saw the Rocky Mountains, and they needed to, be, and they were totally disrupted. And what I experienced is most pastors I know have for the better part of a, of a half a generation have felt that way in a way that is just sped up during the pandemic. We are absolutely in a world that is so different than what we expected it to be. And we're having to learn to lead all over again. Yeah. I love the, uh, the different, you know, parts you took from the journey of Lewis and Clark. And I just tried to imagine myself getting to that mountain peak where they thought, here we go. Now we'll just kind of take an easy ride over to the Pacific and, it was nothing but mountains in front of them and how discouraging that must've been. Uh, And then to think about, well, there's been times in my ministry where I thought this is it. We finally got momentum and we don't. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. So we want to spend the most of our time talking to you uh, about your newer book, tempered resilience. Um, How, and I love the subtitle of it, how leaders are formed in the crucible of change. I feel like that my, involvement in leadership has been one of the most major sanctifying elements of my life. It feels like a crucible of change. Um, But why did this book uh, with this title even need to be written? Mm. Well, so, you know, almost every one of my books was written because I was somewhere doing ministry and someone either asked me a question or made a statement that really disrupted my thinking. So Canoeing the Mountains was written because I had someone literally say to me, how do you keep the church from dying? And I was thinking, I didn't come here to talk about the church dying. I came to talk about the church growing deeper in spiritual formation. And what I realized was the pastors on the front line were anxious about a different question than I showed up to talk about. And I needed to learn to listen to them rather than talk about what I cared about. And when I started asking people, they said in for Canoe in the Mountains, they said, look, seminary didn't train me for this world. I need to learn differently. So then I write Canoe in the Mountains, and I spend the better part of uh, five years going around the country, 100,000 miles a year, talking to people about leadership in a changing world. And then what would happen is the person who would invite me would take me to lunch before they put me back on a plane, and they would say, hey, that was helpful. I really appreciate that. I don't think we have anybody who can do that. (laughs) I would go, oh, I got to do a better job of training. And they went, no, 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 no. I don't know if we have anybody who has the stomach to do that. You're talking about leading people when they're going to resist going because they're anxious and they're fearful and they want to go back. I mean, it's, it's Moses on the other side of the Red Sea with all of the people of Israel who've experienced the miracle of God who are saying, oh my gosh, we're in the desert. We should go back. We should go back to slavery. And, yeah, and, with, and one of the pastors who I was working with said to me, I'm not sure. I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. Mm. So I started thinking about, okay, what does it take? What is the resilience needed to be able to survive that moment? And what I really discovered, and it was, it was through the, this one line in the famous Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I have a dream speech where he says, he literally quotes Isaiah 40 and talks about because God is going to change the whole world right down to the dirt, right? Right down to the valleys and the deserts and the hills and the mountains and the rivers, because God is going to do that someday. He goes, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. Mm, Hew out of a mountain of despair, stones of hope. And for me, that became, how do you become a tool that can hew? 
How do you become a tool that when you're facing a mountain of despair, I'm not sure I can do this. And especially think about our African-American brothers and sisters, a 400 year old mountain of despair. Wow. How do you think about becoming a tool that doesn't bash it with a sledgehammer or blow it up with dynamite and it doesn't back down, but it becomes a tool that can form, transform, carve stones of hope out of that mountain of despair. That's a tempered tool. That's a tool that is stronger and flexible. And that that is a process that has to happen in terms of formation of leaders. And that does take a lot of guts to stomach it. That's for sure. Mm -hmm, Indeed. In the book, uh, Todd, you define leadership as energizing a community of people toward their transformation to accomplish a shared mission in the face of a changing world. Quite a definition. Uh, Why does personal transformation have to be a part of leadership? Yes. So, Terry, this is to me the critical difference between, say, leadership and management. Right. So, um, you know, the scriptures talk a lot about management. We we don't call it management. We call it stewardship usually. Right. It's taking care of the things, as one of my colleagues says, entrusted to our care. And and good stewards are people who are responsible and mature and have values and they are faithful to what they've been given. Leadership is when you actually have to in order to be faithful, you actually have to, to face change. And to face change means you have to be willing to change. You've got to make the distinction between what do we change and what do we not change? What's so essential to us that we've discerned that we cannot leave, change this at all? What's the wine and what's the wineskin, as Jesus would say? What's the difference between what is essential to our identity and what needs to be adapted so that our identity, our purpose, our ministry can go forward? And so that's an issue of transformation. And one of the things that's very clear in all the literature, and it shows up in all the stories, especially, is the very first person who has to be changed is the leader. The leader has to be willing to stand before a group of people and say, humbly, I don't know. The truth is we're called to go forward and I don't have a plan. We're going to learn it together. Um, I need you to go with me. And I know not all of you trust me, but I need to build trust with you. Um, I, we're going to have to leave some stuff behind. You know, if you came on this trip thinking it was a river trip and we've now run out of water. Mm-hmm. And if you brought the canoes and you built the canoes with your own hands and your identity is that you're ex- expert canoeer, <laughs> you're now going to have to drop those canoes. Yeah. And that's really painful. We're going to have to go through loss. I mean, so it requires this profound transformation mm. that happens to leaders. And I would go so far as to say is you can't lead in a changing world unless you can be transformed yourself. Yeah. Well, that hits a nail on the head. Uh, You know, our team, Nate, uh, our leader has led our team to really, really say what in the world is essential? What really matters to us? What are we really aiming for? And exactly what you said happened. We had to stop and say, wow, if we're really going to aim for that, we have to change. Uh, And and so we are, but uh, there's a lot. It's really challenging to change for that sake. So, you know, uh, one of the popular terms out there is adaptive leadership. And obviously this kind of fits into that. So can you kind of unpack that a little bit combined yeah. with the whole tempered resilient? Yeah. So so basically this entire set of work is built on the work of Ronald Heifetz and his colleagues who defined the term adaptive leadership. And what they really mean is leadership where you cannot rely on your expertise. 
So experts solve technical problems. So a technical problem is a problem an expert can solve. It's not a trivial problem, right? Heart bypasses are technical <laughs> problems. Mm-hmm. You know, flying airplanes, technical problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would say preaching a trinity, preaching on the trinity without committing heresy. That is a technical problem. It's hard <laughs> to do, but I work in a seminary. We teach you how to do that, right? A adaptive challenge is when you are facing a challenge when there are no experts, when you actually have to learn, that's the first part. That's the transformation. You have to face losses. You're going to have to give stuff up and you're going to have to navigate competing values. You're going to have to decide between what's essential and what's expendable, right down to the things that are deeply valuable so that you can apply your core values in a healthy way to the changing environment. So when we start recognizing that, you know, the core purposes of God are to redeem the world, like the creator God is redeeming the world. We start going, okay, to participate in that reality, what is it about our religious institutions, our backgrounds, our our things we prefer that are going to need to be let go? And what are we going to have to learn to participate in that in the world that we have today in, in this context, in this circumstance? So adaptive leadership is about learning how to lead when you are not an expert and when you have to actually lead the learning and lead the loss and lead the discernment, um, that and you have to keep going. Yeah, sounds like the story of my life. <laughs> yeah, lead well, when you're not the expert. Well, you know, the thing about it is, I think this is one of the reasons why the book, like both Canoeing the Mountains and Temporary Resilience, has re- have become uh, really resonated. It's that many of us have experienced it this way, but what we were told was. To be a good leader, well, you've got to be charismatic and you've got to be confident and you've got to instill trust in people. So many of us were told, you know, you need to fake it till you make it. You Mm -hmm. need to just have faith in God that it's going to be okay. And what you realize is you actually don't even see that in the scriptures. (laughs) Like like throughout the scriptures, Mm -hmm. the leaders, the people who who come back to God and go, oh, my God, why have you put me with these people? Like, I mean, there's a moment where Moses says... If you want me to lead these people, you can kill me now. <laughs> and I'm not sure I've I've ever prayed that, but I have thought, God, if this is the best you got for me, I could sell real estate. Yeah. I could sell insurance. I could teach. I'll teach. I'll teach English. I could. I could do trail maintenance in the national parks. I would love that. Sounds great, right? But to say no, you actually need to go back into the challenge. You need to care for and help transform these people. And you need to be, participate in what God is doing in the world through these people that I've given you. That's your calling. Get back to work. Yeah. Mm, and rich. when it happens, it's amazing. Yeah. And you yeah. know it's God. Yeah. Oh, and it, for me, I would say if it wasn't God, there's no way I would do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. just there's just no yeah. way I would do it. Um, but if it is God's call, then there's nothing more important in my life. Yeah. So uh, most of our listeners are living out what you're talking about. They're mm-hmm. pastors, they're missionaries, they're church leaders, trying to trying to you know figure this out as they go, uh, build the airplane while it's flying. Yeah. Why should they care about tempered resilience and adaptive leadership? Well, adaptive leadership names you know just like you were saying, Alan. It names the experience that we've been having. It just names it. And and here's the way I would also put it this way, which is. If you don't choose to be an adaptive leader, then the only direction you can move is backwards. Mm. You can only move back wow. to, to where you're comfortable. Yeah. You can move back to the status quo. So like if you're, you know, if you're Lewis and Clark and your job was to find a water route and you, and you find the Rocky Mountains, if you decide, well, what's really essential is canoeing. 
What we really got to do is be about canoeing. Mm -hmm. So let's not keep going into uncharted territory. Let's not keep discovering. Let's instead do canoe trips. And we'll go back in, we'll go back into Kansas and North Dakota. We'll do, do canoe trips, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose was to discover and not just discover a water route, but discover the world in front of you and let that discovery change you. And so what most of us realize is if you don't develop an adaptive leadership mindset of learning, facing loss, navigating competing values, you can only go backwards. And, and that's unfortunately where most of our energy and most of our churches it are. We want to go back. I, I always remind people of this, that remember the word family and the word familiar are the same root word. Mm. So when you take people into unfamiliar territory, they experience it as being unfamilied, wow. which means they don't just experience it as being disorienting, but like abandoning. Where are Ooh. you, God? What happened to my church? Where are my people? And we're like the kid in the grocery store who got so caught up looking at the back of the cereal box. You lost the mom and dad went on to the next aisle and you start screaming to run home to mama. Mm. And when our churches start doing that, we want to go back. We want to get back to where we are in control, where we had power, where we had privilege. And the pastor says, no, they sabotage us. They resist us. Yeah. And that's when you need resilience. You need the resilience to stay faithful to the mission, even when your own people resist because they want to go back to what's familiar. And that's the struggle that's happening all over the country right now. It's like yes, dividing it our churches in half. It's it's creating all kinds of tension. It's why every day I read about another pastor who has said, I'm out. Why? I mean, I, I read church, church staff. Or, I mean, it's, it is the hard moment we're in at this very moment. And it requires us to understand that we need to lead differently and we need to develop, be formed in the resilience to lead into that uncharted territory. It really helped me. You know, I know you, you were using, I think it's Friedman's language when you talked about sabotage. Um, and boy, I really appreciate you taking some of his real technical talk and making it yeah. more easily accessible mm -hmm. as I really think you did that well. Um, but it really helped me to be able to, I guess, differentiate to use another term mm -hmm. yeah. like there to actually call it sabotage, but still, not accuse my people of bad motives yeah, for yeah. their sabotage. Yeah. And I, I think that's where it comes in with your, the statement do you take uh, from a, a Mennonite organization where you say uh, it's important for pastors to, and leaders to stay calm, stay connected and stay the course. Yeah. Can, can you unpack that phrase yeah. for our listeners? Yeah. yeah. So, so whenever I use the word sabotage and you for the first time, especially Christians, they are, they, it's visceral, like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. These are good people. They're not trying to, I mean, saboteurs, those are evil people. That's bad. These are, we're not talking about bad people. We're talking about like, these are my neighbors, my friends. These are people who like held my children, helped us, you know, through sickness. No, 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 no. They're not saboteurs. No, that's what Friedman means. Sabotage is not the bad things that evil people do. Sabotage are the human things that anxious people do. Mm. Oh, that anxiety thing, that anxiety yeah. thing. Whew. When we get anxious, we want familiarity. We want to go back. We want to cling to something. So we will stop the very transformation that God has called us to do because we want it to be comfortable and familiar because we feel so disoriented. And when the pastor faces that sabotage, what the pastor has to do, and I learned this from Richard Blackburn at the Lombard Midnight Peace Center, is you've got to start with the conviction. You've got to have a discern together that this is really where God is leading you. 
You have to be open to the correction that would come. There's going to be all kinds of different ways to do it. But if we're really clear that God has called us to reach our neighborhood, to love our neighbors, to extend ourselves, to change for the sake of the generation we're losing, to reach out to new people who've been missed. If that's our conviction, as soon as you make steps on that conviction, you will be sabotaged. Friedman says a leader can't consider themselves successful until they have made a change and then survive the sabotage. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So when it comes and it will come 100% of the time, you need to stay calm by staying calm. You can make better decisions. You can not be defensive. You need to stay connected, which means you got to stay connected to the very people sabotaging you, which is profoundly hard, right? Because you got to remember that they are not evil people. They're anxious people. And the only way they're going to change their mind, the only way they're going to move forward is if they can learn to trust you in their own anxiety and you have to stay the course. And for most pastors, I know this is the hardest one because what we mostly want to do at this moment is we want to collude with their anxiety and calm everything down. We want to say, okay, okay, okay. We don't need to go to the promised land. Now Pharaoh knows we're serious. So let's go back and negotiate better terms for slavery. Let's let's maybe we can get better lunches and maybe we can get more straw for those bricks, right? We should go back. <laughs> and what we have to actually do at that moment is say, no, God has called us forward. We are going to go forward. We're going to stay the course. And by doing so, you actually, over time, you give people the opportunity to go through their own transformation and join in that mission. But it's profoundly hard. Stay calm, stay connected, stay the course. I love that. Uh, I, I just want to do a follow-up question to that. You know, you mentioned a few times in there that anxiety thing. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't like talking about anxiety, that they don't, they want to quickly write off themselves and say, no, I don't have problems with anxiety. Why should pastors seriously consider how anxiety plays a role in them personally and in their people? Yeah. So, so um, what we know this, we know this about brains. We know this about our lives. You can just, um, one of the people who really has influenced me a lot is Trisha Taylor. She and Jim Harrington wrote a book called the leader's journey. And I've gotten to know them a bit. One of my favorite books. Oh yeah. And Trisha writes, she often says anxiety makes you stupid. Hmm. Uh, Anxiety. When you're anxious, you can't, you can't think well, you can't decide well, everything, everything within you is going into either flight mode or fright mode, uh, you know, fight mode, flight mode, freeze mode. You, you struggle with actually making good decisions when you're anxious, when you're anxious, you, you don't think well, you don't discern well, you need to calm down before you can. So what I would say is anxiety not only makes you stupid, but the denial of your anxiety makes you deadly. Wow. Because when you as a leader say, no, I'm fine. Actually, I'm not anxious at all. I'm just, I'm just believing on Jesus here. We're, we're, it's time for us to do this. People will follow you in their anxiety. They will follow you because they're anxious. They will, they'll cling to you as the quick fix. They will cling to you as the charismatic leader and you can lead them right off a cliff. Mm. So anxiety makes you stupid, but denial of your own anxiety makes you deadly. Wow. Wow. Powerful stuff. It sure is. Oof. So talk, Todd, a minute about um, w- what it means for a leader to be grounded and why that's so important. Yeah, so in Temper Resilience, I use this blacksmithing metaphor all the way through the formation of how steel is formed in from raw material into a temper tool. And what I talk about is that the raw material of a leader is actually not leadership. The raw material of a leader is to be grounded in something 
that is not about leadership. I would say the best that what a leader trying to bring change needs is to be grounded in something other than your need for success in leading change. You need to have where I get this really is the way I experience the life of Jesus before Jesus did anything before he preached a sermon, before he did a miracle, before he confronted a power, the very first thing that happened to him is he heard a voice and the voice said, you are my beloved in you. I'm well pleased. Mm. He hadn't done anything <laughs> to be, we think, yo, we get well done, well pleased after we've done something. What Jesus hears is before he's done anything, he hears, and Eugene Peterson translation is, you are the pride of my life. Mm. And I believe what leaders need to experience profoundly is you are profoundly loved by God. You are loved and known and chosen and embraced and saved by God because you are loved. So now out of that love lead, you have to be grounded in something other than your need to succeed as a leader, or you'll never have developed the resilience to be able to lead. Wow. That is wow. so powerful. It's so necessary. My goodness. Wow. Well, I guess, you know, that whole grounded thing uh, comes into play when we start talking about the connection between loss and change, you know, uh, you quote have, if it's, um, I never know how to pronounce his name until you said it today. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, that people don't experience or resist change per se, they resist loss. Um, and then anxiety plays into that. And if they're not mm. grounded, then that just amplifies the whole problem. So mm. can you talk about that connection between loss and change and how that shapes the way that church leaders lead their congregations? Well, in one sense, it is uh, both in leadership and in discipleship, the central idea. In leadership, the central idea is you, you cannot go through transformation unless you are able to face loss. Change is experienced loss. Transformation is leaving stuff behind. Wow. It is, you're going to experience loss. It is a profoundly painful experience. And then when we go read the scriptures, we realize this is exactly what Jesus invites us to, right? Philippians Amen. 2 is how we set aside his divine, you know, characteristics in order to incarnate. Jesus says, unless the seed falls to the earth and dies, it will remain a single grain. But if it dies, it'll bear much fruit. Unless you come after me, take up your cross and follow me, right? These are all images of loss. You know, if you want to save the world, you must, I mean, save your life, you must lose your life. The scriptures are built on the notion that God has given us everything into our hands that we need. And that at times there are things that will go away so that we can experience God's ongoing transformation. And so being able to navigate loss and take people through loss is critical for transformation of, of churches and organizations, but it's also critical to the, the life of discipleship. It's about the way we confront loss right down to the need for us to be willing to lose our lives if necessary for the sake of the gospel. Mm, that's such good stuff. Yeah. So last question, Todd, the whipped cream and cherry on top of this interview how are leaders formed and strengthened? Well, you know, so this is always the places where when I have these interviews, I'm always feel like I'm Mr. Um, sober news all the time. So, you know, how are you formed? You're formed in the leading. 
I wish I could tell you that there was a book you could read and a class you could take that will make you into a perfect tempered, resilient leader, says the guy who teaches, <laughs> writes books and teaches classes. Right? Like what I can tell you is you are going to be formed in the leader, in, in the leading, in the crucible of leadership. What you have to develop is the capacity in the middle of leading to allow your to, to continue to experience that transformation. So I believe that happens through um, through being willing to be vulnerable and self-reflective, to know where you need help, to experience and be able to say, I don't know, and invite other people into that. I think in that vulnerability, you need relationships. In, in the book, I spend a lot of my time talking about how blacksmiths have a really heavy anvil, that when the steel is heated up to the place that it's almost molten, it has to be put on the anvil. And the anvil for a leader is our relationships. We need thick trustworthy relationships. We need way more relationships than we think we need. We need partners, we need mentors, and we need friends. And we need all kinds of relationships, right? I need need people who care about the mission as much as I do. Those are my partners. They're the ones who remind me we're in this for something bigger than ourselves. Those are my partners. But I also need people in my life who care about me more than they care about the mission. Those are my people. Those are my friends who say, Hey, Todd, I heard that you wrote a new book. And I go, I did. You want to read it? And they go, No, (laughs) that's not, no, I'm not interested in church change and leading change, but I care about you. So how are you doing? And then I need mentors. And mentors are people who care about me for the sake of the mission. Hmm. And those are our coaches and our spiritual directors and our therapists and our mentors. I mean, that's really my life these days. I I stepped down from a senior vice president role in the seminary so that I could spend every single day basically being part of the anvil of leaders on the front line, being an executive coach and a consultant and a, and a teacher. And that's that every leader, if you're going to lead change, needs that heavy, thick anvil because you're formed in the process of leading. And that's what makes it so profoundly hard. Wow. Well, Todd, there's a whole lot to unpack here. Thank you yeah, so much. You've given us a lot of great stuff, insightful, challenging. It made me want to listen to you more and read your stuff more. So yeah, uh, yeah. I really found it helpful and really appreciate you taking the time to uh, yeah. talk to our Alliance pastors and leaders today. Good. Well, people can connect with us. In fact, here's, I've got a really great team that did kind of a fun thing. If you want to get more connected to the stuff that we write and teach and, and coaching and stuff that we offer, if you just text the word change, change to 66866. That's too many sixes for a pastor, but they gave me that number. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Change 66866. And if you text that word and you can literally, you can get on our mailing list if you want. We'll give you some free material. You can get connected to the Church Leadership Institute and the work that I do, uh, both for the Institute and my coaching and consulting. So Fantastic, Todd. Looking forward to uh, our listeners uh, responding to that and uh, tapping into your resources. God bless you as you continue to... Uh, lead and raise up leaders. Thank Thank you you so much. much. Thank you both. Alan, that was outstanding. Yes, it was. So very challenging and insightful and helpful. Uh, What what are you walking away from today's interview thinking in terms of your own personal leadership? Wow. you know, I had read his book and now this took me to another level um, because I think he put some pieces together after reading the book once and reviewing highlights. Um, I, for me, it's like I have to keep being aware that 
leadership and transformation always involves loss for me personally and for the people I'm leading and to be able to lean into Jesus, let him keep shaping me on the most important anvil uh, hit relationship with him, but to also realize that I need more relationships than I realize in order for that to be stay grounded. And uh, there's a lot there. I mean, my heart is full. Uh, my head is overflowing and I have a lot of processing to do. And I'm just really grateful for this conversation. Indeed, had some great thoughts about anxiety as well. And uh, so um, really helpful uh, interview. Listeners, we appreciate you. Thanks for tapping into uh, Equipping You podcast. Yes. Uh, a number of you as I travel around come up and let me know you're listening. And I'm encouraged by that. I know Alan is as well. So uh, we're glad you're listening, hoping you're benefiting. And uh, we look forward to you uh, joining us again next time when we'll do our first autobiographical interview of an Alliance leader. Not autobiographical. Well, I guess it is. Biographical. Anyway, with uh, Jim Rudd from uh, True Vine Church Community in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Can't wait for it. Come back next time. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.